Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. We have on Sunday nights been uh, about once a month doing a series called um, You're Singing My Sermon, where I teach a new song that's uh, been written particularly in the last 30 to 40 years, um, but also is deep theologically. Uh, a lot of songs that are written and being ported over to, uh, to New Testament Christianity these days may be about a mile long to an inch deep. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in looking for songs that are, uh, have depth of quality to them and that certainly have a scriptural basis. The song that I've chosen for this evening is called My God and King, and it is a song by a Russian brother in Christ by the name of Konstantin Zwieglin. And he was converted, and uh, he is a prolific songwriter in the, uh, the country of Russia. And this particular song was uh, translated over by an American composer, uh, American uh, songwriter, and put together and put with music. And it's a very, very beautiful song. But I think the scripture that Alan read just for, a for us a few moments ago from Psalm 84, it really captures the essence of a person who is longing for the courts of God. We're going to sing this song at this time. I'm going to ask Roger if he wouldn't mind to click for it. And uh, this is how it goes. We may stop and come back and, and sing a verse again. But it's a very, very beautiful melody. And certainly I think you're going to find that the melody supports the text well. Mm. My God and King, how beautiful are your dwelling places, O Lord. Just that much again. Back up. My God and King, how beautiful are your dwelling places, O Lord. The second phrase sounds a lot like the first. And like a swallow longs for her nest, so long I 
chorus, Roger, one slide. For the Lord is a sun and a shield, my hope and my song in the night. How beautiful, how beautiful are your dwelling places, O Lord. That's a song. Keep going. Second verse. Only one day, only one day, spent in the house of the Lord is better than lifetimes spent in the dark in kingdoms of shadow and the way that a great melody can capture the spirit of a, of a text, especially when you're talking about a psalm that really longs for God and longs for the courts of God. If you've got your Bible there open to Psalm 84, let's examine this just briefly, and we'll sing a verse in between every single one of the main points that we're making this evening. Psalm 84 has been called a janitor's psalm. A janitor's psalm by some, uh, by some writers, particularly because it's written by, if you'll notice in your subscript, as psalms, uh, the sons of Korah. And you ask the question, well, who are the sons of Korah? You could be referring to the one who was rebellious there in Numbers chapter 16 and perished after he uh, tried to take the power away from Moses. And what you find is, is that, that he was actually a son of a Kohathite, and you remember that the temp their responsibility was to move around the temple furniture, 
So whenever the tabernacle would pick up and move, when God would say, it's time to move the tabernacle again, the sons of uh, Kohath were the ones who would be responsible for part of the moving of uh, some of the things the temple, or the tabernacle rather. However, when David had grand plans for building the temple of God, now you've got all these Levites who have particularly needs for new jobs. And what David did is that he told some of these sons of, of Korah to be responsible for the physical aspects of the, of, the, uh, of the temple. There were some of them, according to 1 Chronicles 24 through 26, who were por- uh, uh, appointed as singers. There were some of them who were appointed as watchmen. There were some of them who were appointed as gatekeepers. They were the ones that held the door and that, uh, that opened and closed the doors of the temple. There were some that moved things from here to there as porters. And can you imagine one of these guys who, in essence, as one man described them, were basically janitors of the temple, the ones who cleaned up at messes and the ones who took care of things physically as far as the temple went, walking around the temple at night. Maybe after all of the people had gone and all the sacrifices were over for that day and just walking around and just admiring the beauty of the temple that he got to serve in. And considering the words of the psalm, Psalm 84, uh, understanding that here he is in a place where worship happens. Here he is in a place where people draw near under the old system to the God of heaven as he's enabled them to come near by a priest where the priest made atonement for the people on their behalf, but the priest also offered things on behalf or to, to God for the atonement of those people. And now as he's walking around and viewing these things, he's thinking about the God of heaven and thinking about how wonderful it is to dwell in the presence, in the tabernacle, the physical tabernacle of God, but how that's different than being actually in the presence of the living God. When you consider all of the work that perhaps went on in the tabernacle, certainly this is the picture of Herod's temple, the big massive complex that he built around it. And no doubt there were places, uh, apartments, and places where uh, those who served continuously were able to stay in, in those places. And so physically, the psalmist could be singing and saying, how blessed are those people who get to stay there and who get to live there? You ever think how much easier life might be if you got to live in the church building with all the people that, uh, that are here, that, that, uh, that worship and that want to draw near to God? I imagine a Roy Ross writing this psalm and walking around this physical building and taking care of things with regard to, and again, God doesn't dwell here. Please don't get that understanding. But can you imagine a Roy Ross walking around and, and emptying the trash cans and doing all those things, but then every time he walks by the auditorium, you know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about that time that we're going to draw near to God in a special sense in worship and be near to him and how wonderful and what a wonderful thing and blessing that is to be in the presence of the living God. The psalmist is this person, the sons of Korah. And what it's a reminder as far as Israel goes is to look at and think about coming and the blessing of worship and being in the presence of God and shaping every aspect of our lives. One man said this, he said, the journey of faith must be shaped by its destination. The journey of faith must be shaped by its destination. Friends, what we're looking for and what we're hoping for is a hope that the world doesn't have and the world so desperately needs. And that is the hope of a life beyond this one, a life that's not just scrounging and scraping for every penny and every, 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 uh, every dollar that comes, that comes down the way. What they need is the op- awesome 
amazing ability to be in the presence of God. And the fact that we have that at the end of our lives prepared for us, that tells us that the best is yet to be because when our lives are over, we're going to be in the presence of God. But Sunday to Sunday, and certainly with a midweek service right in between, we have the ability to draw near to God in a special sense corporately with the people of God. And being together in worship and thinking about those things. But you know what? I have the awesome opportunity as a child of God to draw near to God in worship, sitting in my office or riding in my car. How wonderful the psalmist says it is to be in the dwelling places of God. Notice in your Bible that Psalm 84 is talking about four different, or three different blessings. And we're going to enumerate these based upon the way that he breaks down the text. And you'll notice that each section, verses 1 to 4, ends with this word, selah. A lot of people believe that this is just a simple musical pause, a way to let it sink in before we move on to another thought. But verses 1 to 4 end with a selah, a musical pause. Verses 5 to 8 end with a selah, a musical pause. And verses 9 to 12 finish out the psalm. And cause us to think about how good it is to be in the presence of God. But notice also in each one of these sections, verses 1 to 4, verses 5 to 8, and then verses 9 to 12, each one of them contains a beatitude, a blessing. Here is a particular blessing based upon the longing that we have, the journey of faith that we're upon, that we need to concentrate on and thinking about longing for the courts of God and being in the presence of my God and King. Three Beatitudes, three Selahs. Let's this, let this sink in and the importance of seeking the Lord in his dwelling place. Why are God's dwelling places beautiful? Number one, because he is the God who cares for us. Because he is the God who cares for us. How lovely, verse 1, are your ta- is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of God. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home for, and a swallow a nest for herself while she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. There is an understanding that as a joyful resident of the house of God, we have the opportunity to offer our love and devotion on a continual basis. There is an understanding of a longing and saying, Lord, I want to be there. The end of verse 2, the ESV translates, my heart and my flesh sing for God. They cry aloud for the living God. And the idea is there's nothing that's going to be right until I get there. Ever felt that way about heaven, your home? I know that sometimes we go on trips. I know that summer's right around the corner. As I mentioned, I think uh, during our VBS meeting, you're going to blink once and turn around twice, and it's going to be summertime. And I know a lot of people just think about uh, going and going on trips, but the older I get, I know I've mentioned this before, the more I long for home and the more I desire to sleep in my own bed because there's nothing like longing for that. Can you imagine with the psalmist feeling that way towards the courts of God, feeling that way towards worship? And notice what he says there in verses 3 and 4, even the sparrow finds a home. The sparrow is a symbol in Jewish culture and certainly throughout the Bible as worthlessness. You remember Jesus mentioned Aren't two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And talking about how God cares for these, the least of all, this worthless little sparrow that nobody would think twice about. The sparrow's found a home. And I imagine this porter, this doorkeeper, this janitor 
walking around and maybe looking under this little altar that's setting off in the, some corner and seeing this little nest for the sparrow and thinking about that. You find the swallow who finds a nest for herself. Swallow, some, uh, some have said, is a symbol for restlessness. The one who's always flitting here and there and not, uh, not stopping for a minute. Some of y'all re- rep- uh, are kind of like the sparrow, aren't you? You don't rest for a minute. <laughs> you sit down once and you say, oh, i got to get up and do this. And here's this person flitting here and there. Here's the sparrow. The sparrow's found a nest. And the sparrow's found a nest in the courts of God. You ever go into one of those big box stores, Home Depot, Lowe's, and you see those birds that somehow have found their way into that facility? I got to think that's a pretty good life for a bird, don't you? you know, <laughs> I know that there's somebody that cares for that bird that throws down bird seed first thing in the morning. The little bird goes and gets it. And they don't have to worry about the elements. You know why? Because it's always 72 degrees in Lowe's. It's probably a little chillier, but you understand. That's always, uh, they, they don't have to worry about the elements. They don't have to worry about sheltering themselves from the storm. They don't have to worry about predators that possibly might come and take away their young. They found a pretty good life in the Lowe's or Home Depot. And can you imagine, again, this porter thinking, you know, this is the house of God. I don't think that little sparrow should be there. And then remembering and thinking, our God made that bird. Our God knew that that bird would find a home here. Our God is the God who welcomes little creatures. How much more would he welcome us? Us who have the awesome ability to come and dwell in his presence. And the beatitude, blessed are those who abide, who remain, who stay, who are set in your house. There's a continual abiding, a continual blessedness. They don't grow weary in praising you. They don't look forward to the time and say, is it time to go praise God again? It's an awesome privilege and an awesome responsibility. Something to look into that we don't really have a whole lot of time for. Look in the names of God in the psalm. And what they represent. For example, verse 1, the Lord of hosts. God has a claim of all creation. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. In a world that's gone its own way, our God, it detracts nothing from him. He's still beautiful. He's still awesome. He still has authority. He still has supremacy. The living God, verse 2, this God powerful, this God everlasting. The psalmist then says, this God who is the Lord of hosts, the God everlasting is my God and my king, there's mercy and love and joy for the residents of his house. That's a reason to pray. That's a reason to praise. That's a reason for us to consider how we're joyful residents of the house of God. Let's sing verse 1, please, Roger. My God and King, how beautiful are your dwelling places, O
Our God is the God who cares for us. God's places are beautiful because he's the God who strengthens us. Strengthens us. Verses 5 through 8. Blessed is the man. We get to our beatitude immediately. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Everyone appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. It's a people on a journey, people on a pilgrimage. You remember that for the Jewish male, it was required three times a year for them to go and to appear before God in Jerusalem. Exodus 23, immediately after uh, the Ten Commandments, one of the first things God wanted them to know is that you're going to come and you're going to come and worship every, every male, Exodus 23, verses 13 to 17. There is a directive, a divine directive, a command for those people to do that. And yet at the same time, there's also an awesome privilege and an awesome joy that these people get to leave their homes and their jobs and come in a special sense to offer worship at the appointed place, first Shiloh and then Jerusalem. And there's a difference these people make. You ever considered the difference these people make on their journey, on their pilgrimage? You ever know miserable travelers? <laughs> Maybe you are a miserable traveler where you spend 15 hours in a car and, and it just gets more and more uncomfortable and more and more restless and you just get more and more irritable all the way through. This is not the character of the people who are journeying to come and stand before God. In fact, the way that he describes this is he says, even though they travel through the Valley of Baca, Here's a place that's known for being dry and being arid. Here's a place for being known as not having any kind of pools or any kind of water anywhere along the way. He says, those people, they travel through that place, and you know what? It becomes a spring. It becomes covered in water and covered in pools. Here's a somebody that's going to make things better as they go. That's not like you. That's not like me. And as we journey on this pilgrim way, as we sometimes sing in, our, in our, our songs, I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim, am I a miserable traveler on life's journey? Or am I a person that makes things better, that refreshes, that offers encouragement, that offers strength to the people that I pass by as it is that I'm on my way to ultimately heaven? And you think about these people as they're going to peace to keep the feast, going from strength to strength. I wonder about phrases like that, you know, because Romans chapter 1, verse 17 talks about the power of the gospel. He says, it's the power of God unto salvation, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also in Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And he says, from faith to faith. And you wonder about phrases like that, from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and what those really have to do with and what those really entail, that Jesus is our all in all, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Look at those things and study those things sometimes, the going from faith to faith or the journey from strength to strength. I wonder if he's talking about from strength to journey to strength to praise. I wonder if he's talking about the strength to journey to strength to lean on God, the strength of God to the strength of me in order to be able to make this journey. And each one as they go and they appear before God in Zion, they're going because they've been commanded to but they're going to because they want to more than anything else, because of faith and strength that they receive from God. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Once again, look at the names of God in verses 5 through 8. 
You're going to find the proper name of God, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the God of hosts, the majestic among all. Interestingly enough, he also calls him the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. I wonder about the promise that God made, that God's not deterred by our failings and by our weaknesses. You realize that's one of the major lessons that Jacob teaches us as one of the Old Testament patriarchs. That here's a guy that struggled with his faith every step of the journey, every step of the way. In fact, he made a deal with God that you bring me back here and I'm going to make you my God. And he went away into the land of Haran to find Laban, his, his uncle, and, and, and went ahead and had two wives. And when he finally came back, that was when he made the choice that God was going to be his God. And God bore with and dealt with and provided grace for Jacob and all his failings. And certainly throughout Israel's history, he did the same thing for those people. But Jacob didn't learn to trust until he learned to walk with a limp. When he wrestled with that man, and that man touched his, his so the hip, and he had to walk with a limp in order to go out first and meet his brother Esau, that was when he really began to lean on the Lord and trust in his strength. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, how Paul says, Our outward man is perishing but our inward man is being renewed day by day. And you think about some of the strongest people that you've ever known are the ones who have been faithful Christians from the time that they were baptized into Christ until the time that they left this earth. And even though their body may be ravaged with illness and sickness, they still had the strength because their trust was in the Lord. We're going to sing verse 3 because this one better goes with this point from verses 5 through 8. And we're going to yield to the Bible text here in this instance. Verse 3 and then we'll come back and do verse 2. Blessed is the man, how blessed is the man who places his trust in the Lord. His hope will sustain him. He cares for us. God is the God who strengthens us. God is the God who protects us. Verses 9 through, uh, 9 through 12, oh God, behold our shield, or as some translations say, behold our shield, God, and look upon the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, here's our beatitude. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. God is referred to in this section as a shield, as a defense. And notice that it's got both him as a shield, but also his anointed there in verse 11, the Messiah. And he's also a son, verse 11, keeping things away from harm and keeping us from darkness. And there's a humility there. Better is a day in your courts than a better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
Why? For the Lord will protect his people. He's going to give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold. The beatitude, blessed is the man who trusts in you, who walks uprightly, who's not a crooked man, who's not trying to be a hypocrite like what we talked about this morning, but here's a man who trusts and whose heart is abiding in the living God. And the psalm ends like it began with the Lord of hosts, the one who has claim and rule over all creation and commitment to the one who has trust in him, security and blessing, thanks and praise. It's been suggested that verses 9 through 12 have to do with those people that really want to go and make that pilgrimage but physically can't. Ever think about our shut-ins? And if you go and you visit with our shut-ins and the people who just physically can't get out anymore, you know what, they're one thing that they always tell me more than anything else of what they want to go and what they want to do. I just wish I had the strength. I just wish I had the ability to get back in worship. And to think about the opportunity that we have and the advantage that we have to be able to have legs that work or a car that works or, or bodies that are able to carry us from place to place or eyes to see in the darkness and how we think about those things and we take those things for granted so often. But here's a person that may not have the physical ability to make that pilgrimage, but they're going to continue to put their trust in you. And saying the fact, I would much rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Just show me where to stand and show me how many times i got to do this. I, I want to be a doorman in the house of God than to have 10,000 days where I'm dwelling in tents of wickedness. Because to spend one day, just one day in the courts of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. How we need to long for God. And realize, folks, the journey that we take the pilgrimage that we're on both in this life but also from week to week until the time when we can come back together corporately as, as Christians and worship and to think about the blessing that we have to be able to worship all the time throughout then and the Lord of hosts is going to be the one that hears us and that answers us and that blesses us. We realize what a tremendous blessing our Savior Jesus is and how he's enabled us to draw near to God we don't have to go to a physical location like the Israelites did there at the temple. We gather together here in this building, in this place, corporately, together as Christians, because that's what we're commanded to do. But you think about the joyful blessing and the privilege of being together with the people that we're going to spend all eternity with in the presence of the God that's blessed us, that's forgiven us, and that's enabled us to stand righteous in his presence. We're going to sing the song one more time. And then uh, finish up this evening. My God and King, how beautiful are your dwelling places, O Lord. And like a swallow longs for her nest, so long I after you.
remarkable is that the Bible ends with a place. The Bible ends with a place. And the beauty of heaven is not the things that John saw that he couldn't describe but just saw and used the word like. It was like this and it was like this, it was like this. The beautiful part of heaven is the fact that the Lord was with them. And they don't need a son because the Lord is the light. The lamb is there and the lamb is with them. I hope as you're journeying every day, you keep that in view because the journey of faith has got to be shaped by its destination. I'm thankful that I've had the opportunity to speak to you today. Maybe there's somebody here this evening that's struggling with their Christian journey, their pilgrimage. Maybe there's somebody here that's struggling with something that we can help with. I know the Lord can help, and I know that you have a room full of people that would be glad to go before his throne on your behalf. Maybe there's somebody here this evening that's ready to obey the gospel through putting your faith and trust in Jesus and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You can have the salvation that our God offers this very evening as we stand and sing our invitation song.